Good morning, Calvary Bible Church family. Great to worship with you. This has been a momentous week, an absolutely momentous week. If you haven't heard, and I hope you have heard, uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Praise the Lord. Amen. For 50 years, our nation has shamefully and wickedly endorsed at the level of federal law uh, the slaughter of the innocents. This is basic Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. And uh, in ancient times, there was a cult, the cult of Molech, where people would burn babies alive on the arms of, a, of an idol, offering them to the demon god Molech. They did it, they killed these babies for their reasons, and in modern times, we kill them for ours. But the point is that in the end, babies are killed. And uh, this is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. And so it is appropriate to rejoice when man's law, at least to a degree now, is brought into conformity with God's law. God's law is the highest law. Man's law is obliged to submit to him. And so it is appropriate for us to rejoice uh, that uh, a major step in that direction has been taken on the federal level, but that, of course, pushes it to the states and so now we have the obligation to pray and to work uh, towards God's law being honored at the state level in our state of Michigan. Uh, we uh, recognize that uh, babies are made in the image and likeness of God, and it is only God, the giver of life, who has authority to take it away. And we are reminded uh, that it was actually a baby in the womb who first rejoiced at the coming of Christ as the as John the Baptist, in the womb of his mother, leapt for joy at the nearness of Jesus in the womb of Mary. And uh, that text reminds us that uh, this is, this is um, central, even uh, to our understanding of the incarnation, that life uh, is life in the womb. It's life made in the image of likeness and, uh, of God. And so uh, we rejoice uh, that... Um, this major step in bringing uh, man's law into conformity with God's law has been taken. But I would like, uh, if you are able physically to kneel, uh, and if you desire to do so, I'd like to invite the whole congregation uh, to kneel in prayer. Uh, I want to pray for the state of Michigan uh, that our state laws uh, will conform to God's law on this issue. Lord, we... We do rejoice, uh, Lord, after uh, 50 years of uh, violence and uh, an abomination in your sight, Lord, the, the slaughter of the innocents, uh, the ripping uh, limb by limb of, of little babies uh, whose voices cannot be heard. Lord, after such a, a blight of, uh, uh, and a, a blood-stained uh, shame um, on our nation, Lord, we rejoice uh, that... Uh, that the federal law, uh, Lord, has been brought uh, at least a degree uh, closer, Lord, to submission to yours. Lord, in that we rejoice. Uh, Lord, we are grateful for all uh, who have labored and worked uh, towards that end. But Lord, we also recognize uh, that um, uh, this ruling now uh, pushes the, the issue to the states. And Lord, we think of our state of Michigan, 
Lord, we pray uh, for the governing authorities and for the legal institutions and for the population. Lord, we pray uh, that each heart and therefore um, our state, Lord, would, uh, Lord, would honor you, Lord, and honor those whom you have made in your own image and likeness, Lord, by honoring life, the life that you have given. Lord, by protecting that life and by, um, Lord, having laws which conform to your highest law. Lord, in your Ten Commandments, you say, Thou shalt not kill. Lord, we pray uh, that man's law uh, will align with yours in our state. So, Lord, uh, we pray uh, that Michigan uh, would be truly a, a state that, is, that honors uh, the life that you give, uh, Lord, from uh, conception to the grave, uh, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we pray that we as a church uh, could be those who minister, Lord, to orphans and to widows in their distress. Lord, help us to be those who care uh, for those who are in crisis, Lord, who help them, Lord, and who provide homes uh, for those without them and families for those without them. So, Lord, help us in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to encourage you to be thinking about uh, what you can do if uh, the Lord, uh, Lord would so bless our state uh, that, um, that the solution to crisis would no longer be killing. Uh, there needs to be other solutions to crisis, and uh, we need to be the hands and feet of those solutions. And uh, so if you've never considered adoption, I would encourage you to, uh, to uh, be considering it, uh, to be willing to open your home uh, if there be a child uh, who needs uh, your home and your family's love uh, to be uh, set in families as the scripture talks about. Um, also, uh, what we can do to support our local crisis pregnancy center alternatives and other, others who are, are working to uh, care for those, uh, care for both women and children, and uh, that is uh, precious inside of the Lord. We're, we're reminded by James, right? Uh, religion that God our Father considers impure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So uh, we'll, we want to be talking in the days to come what we as a church can be doing uh, in this crucial area. Well, I want to invite you to now to turn in the Word of God to James chapter 3. We're talking about communication, and uh, we've been in our study of James in chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. And I want to begin by reading that passage to you again. And then we're going to kind of branch out from there and take a look, a general look at the teaching of Scripture on the topic of communication. James chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. 
my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. This is a reminder of the power of the tongue. It can determine the course of a life. We're going to take a look at just practically how to change in this area. Last week, I pointed out, as James says, no one can tame the tongue. You can't put bit and bridle on this horse. You can't steer with rudder this ship. But there is one who can, and that is the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer. And so, as we ended the last time, we need to give bit and bridle to the Holy Spirit. We need to give the rudder to the Holy Spirit so that what comes out of our mouth is fresh water, not bitter water. So that what comes out of our mouth is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. We want our mouths to be a source of the fruit of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. In fact, if you keep reading in James chapter 3, and we'll get to this passage next week, in verse 13 he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace that is where the lord wants to take us to heavenly wisdom and to have mouths who are conduits of heavenly wisdom that which is pure peaceable gentle reasonable full of mercy and good fruits unwavering without hypocrisy whose fruit is righteousness Righteousness, which is sown in peace by those who make peace. We need to please the Lord in our communication. Our mouths need to be a source of blessing to others. Key verse, if you uh, have in your bulletin, uh, you, I decided to give you essentially the entire uh, sermon outline, and we're just going to kind of walk through it together and uh, share a few practical examples and principles. How do we please the Lord in our conversation? I'd like to direct you to Ephesians 4, 29, the verse printed there at the top, which says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No unwholesome word, not even one. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's the purpose clause at the end. So that, for the goal or the purpose of giving grace to those who hear, is your mouth a conduit of grace? Does the Lord, does the Holy Spirit use your mouth to give grace to others? Or do you give curses to others through your mouth? That's the alternative. Either the Holy Spirit uses your mouth to give grace or 
your flesh will use it to give a curse. Good communication is vital because it's at the heart of every relationship. Communication is at the heart of our relationship with the Lord. We hear his word through the scriptures and we pray to him and worship him in song. It's communication. It's a personal relationship. And when we are silent, when we are prayerless, or when we refuse to listen to him, when we don't read or hear his word, the relationship is affected. Same thing is true on the horizontal level. Good communication is vital. We need to hear and we need to communicate and it is communication which is the bond of every relationship. I want to just give you a few scriptural principles that talk about the importance of good communication. We already read the James 3 passage which says that words have the power to set the course of your life on fire. Your tongue can be the match which hell uses to light your whole life on fire. Proverbs 12, 18 and other passages says that words can be weapons which wound or medicine which heals. It can be a blessing or a curse to others. Proverbs 15 says that words can start and sustain a quarrel or they can prevent and end a quarrel. Proverbs says that your words can be a fountain of life and a joy-giving blessing. But words can also separate intimate friends and create strife. I want you to listen to Proverbs chapter 16, verses 27 through 28, and consider the power of words. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man digs up evil while his words are like a scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. I heard from an out-of-state friend, I was talking to him and was asking for some advice and prayer because a father-in-law is using his words to try to turn his daughter against her husband. That's a perverse man spreading strife and a slander who is separating intimate friends and of course husband and wife are the most intimate of friends a slander separates intimate friends your words have the power to destroy friendships and even to destroy marriages scriptures also say that words have the power of life and death proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life in the power of the tongue. The Lord Jesus took what we say very seriously. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? I want you to notice that uh, godly communication is sometimes very blunt. Jesus looked at people and said, you brood of vipers. He's not insulting them. He's evaluating them. They were like a den of snakes. You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? 
For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Whatever fills your heart will pour out of your mouth. So you can tell yourself that you're a loving person, but if what pours out of your life is primarily criticisms and negativity, how much love really is in there? The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So the key, of course, is what fills your heart? Does grace fill your heart? Then that's what will come out of your mouth. Does love fill your heart? Then that's what will come out of your mouth. On the opposite, does bitterness fill your heart? Then that's what will come out of your mouth. Does rage fill your heart? That's what will come out of your mouth. Does jealousy fill your heart? That's what will come out of your mouth. Does pride fill your heart? That's what will come out of your mouth. The mouth, the Lord Jesus says, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So the key to all change is in the heart. What do you fill your heart with? Jesus goes on to say, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Then Jesus says something which should just absolutely cause us to go to work on our communication. He says, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. There is not a word that you have said anywhere to anyone which will not be evaluated by God. You will stand before him and give an account for every word which your mouth has spoken. Every single one. The Lord cares about what you say, and he will evaluate. This is the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. And, oh, I didn't really mean it, is not going to be a good excuse. Oh, I was just tired, also not a good excuse. I was under stress. Not a good excuse. Jesus says in verse 37, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. This is serious business. Well, how do we change? What is the scripture command of us? When I go through seven biblical communication principles, the scriptures are full of principles of communication. Keep in mind, Jesus is introduced to us in John chapter 1 as the Word. The maker of heaven and earth is the triune God, the one whom Jesus says, Father, you loved me before the world was. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have had eternal communication. Communication is vital to them, so vital that the Lord determined to use the word word to the, introduce us to his son in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is vital to the Lord. So what does the Lord teach about communication? And this, there are literally thousands of verses on communication. The whole Bible 
is addressing this, but I want to break it down into kind of seven key principles. The first is be quick to listen. And I not only broke it down into seven uh, key principles, but tried to just limit it to a couple key texts. James chapter 1, verse 19, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Ecclesiastes, and then 1 John. The first principle is to be quick to listen. James 1, 19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And those are the first three principles. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then third, slow to anger, or or in other words, guard your emotions. So let's talk a little bit about that first one. Be quick to listen. A good listener communicates care for the other person. By being a good listener, you communicate to the other person that you care about what they think, and you care about what they want, and you care about what they need. If you don't listen well, you are showing the other person or communicating to the other person that you don't really care. You don't care about their thoughts. You don't care about their wants. You don't care about their needs. You don't care. So being a good listener is one of the key ways we communicate care for the other person. You know, men are always baffled, right? You know, because... You know, their wife starts to share something with them, and, you know, I mean, within a, a millisecond, the guy just knows the solution, right? I mean, he just, you know, you know ladies, I, I don't know if you know this, but the Lord has given us that, uh, this amazing thing. It's like, you know, like, you, you haven't even finished your first sentence. We already know exactly how to solve this problem. You know, all you have to do is just kind of, you know, let Mr. Fix-It fix it, and uh, everything will be fine. Well, men, why, why do our wives respond negatively when we jump to being Mr. Fix-It? Well, it's because when we're impatient to hear what's on her heart, we're communicating to her that we don't really care about what she thinks or what she feels. So we're trying to solve an, a problem, and she's sitting there saying, he's not even willing to take five minutes to hear what's going on in my heart. So being a good listener is vital. It communicates care for the other person. Be quick to listen. I want to take you to a passage in uh, Proverbs 18 which talks about how we need to listen and what we need to listen for. If there are two verses that I would encourage you to memorize in terms of being uh, listening and, um, and hearing, it'd be Proverbs chapter 18, verses 13 and 17. Proverbs 18, 13 says this, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. You give an answer before you hear fully, right? I've said before from the pulpit that uh, the only place where you should give the answer before you hear the question is if you're playing Jeopardy. (laughs) Other than that, you need to fully hear the question before you give the answer. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And then verse 17, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. I have four children. They occasionally don't see eye to eye on certain things, you know, you know, whose turn it is for this and, you know, you know, how many M&Ms from the pack of M&Ms, you know, each one got, that type of thing. Well, when they have a conflict and one of them comes to me, the first one to plead their case always seems right. I'm, the first child to explain what's going on always seems to me absolutely right. In fact, I'm often indignant that the other child could treat this innocent angel in such a way. (laughs) 
but then I go talk to the other one. And it's really rare that I think either one is an angel after I've heard the whole thing. The first, to plead his case, seems right until another comes and examines him. If he, I will tell you something. If you will apply this verse, you will break the chain of gossip and slander. How does gossip and slander work? It's because the first to plead their case seems right. So your friend comes to you and, you know, they've had a conflict with someone and they, they just explain to you. You're just sitting there. You're like, my friend is this innocent angel. And how could this ogre do this to them? Then you go and talk to the ogre. And uh, their case is examined. By the way, when, uh, when a marriage issue comes to me, um, sometimes people get upset. Someone will come, you know, typically one spouse will come and make an appointment and kind of lay out the case against their spouse. And sometimes they're greatly offended that I don't immediately take their side. But I explain to them. One person seems right until another comes and examines their case. I cannot be fair. I cannot know an answer before I've heard both sides. It's true as a parent, true as a pastor, true in all aspects of life. So be quick to listen. Don't jump to conclusions. And then Proverbs 19, verse 20 says, Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. You need to be willing to listen to counsel. You need to be teachable. Part of being a good listener is being teachable. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Someone who doesn't listen to rebuke is a scoffer. It's all a joke to them. Chapter 13, verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Did you know your pride tricks you? Your pride tricks you into thinking that if you receive rebuke, it will dishonor you. That's not the case. This proverb says, he who regards reproof, right? In other words, he who, re, who has a high regard for receiving re reproof, who, who values the evaluations of others, he will be honored. Who excels in the workplace? Well, it's the one who listens to the negative parts of their annual evaluations and improves upon them. Who's the star athlete? The one who listens to the coach when he says you could improve your defense in this way or your passing in this way. Poverty and shame will come to the one who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. This is, you know, the Lord continually said the first will be last, the last will be first. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will gain it. You know, the path up begins with the path down. You have to first humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. It's humility which leads to honor. It's not pride. Pride leads to shame. Chapter 17, verse 10, says this, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. 
Do you want to be a man of understanding? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. A plan in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. You have to work to listen. You have to work to understand the other person's perspective. So be quick to listen. A good listener communicates care for the other person. Second is that next part of James 1.19, which is be slow to speak. So you need to practice biblical evaluation before you open your mouth. And I want to emphasize that term, biblical evaluation. You need to ponder how to respond in a conversation in a way which is in accordance with the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28 is kind of a key text here. It says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Now you have to think before you speak. And not just think, but think biblically before you speak. You need to ponder how to answer righteously and not just let your mouth pour out evil things. Where I grew up in Colorado, there's, you know, these mountain passes and, you know, the, you know these long, you know, downward grades that are really steep and you know, sometimes semi-trucks, if they don't get into low enough gear, they can burn out their brakes. They lose their brakes, and now all of a sudden you have this, you know, super heavy truck just barreling down the highway, and, you know, and sadly sometimes there are accidents which are fatal for who they plow into. Very rarely are they fatal for the truck driver. Well, on that downward grade, there are these kind of emergency truck ramps. They're, they're these special exits off the highway that just are filled with deep sand and kind of these barriers to stop a runaway truck. You need that for your mouth. Your mouth is often like a runaway truck, and it will crush and it will destroy if you don't take the off-ramp, the emergency off-ramp, and ponder how to answer before letting your mouth pour out wicked things. So be slow to speak. Restrain your words third guard your emotions james 119 says be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger you need to guard your emotions controlling your emotions is the key to controlling your mouth proverbs chapter 17 verse 27 through 28 says this he who restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. The key is to have a cool spirit. You don't want to have your emotions bubbling at one degree below boiling. You know, have you ever kind of had a, you know, water? It's just one degree below boiling. So it only takes one little bit of fire, one little bit of heat to get the whole thing boiling over. You want to have a cool spirit. If you have a cool spirit, you can take a lot of heat without blowing up. You have to have a cool spirit. Keep your spirit cool. Most people lose the battle of communication long before they explode. They lost it when they entered the conversation already elevated, already angry, already bitter. You have to control your emotions. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. 
says, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Chapter 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Be slow to anger and you will calm disputes. Chapter 16, verse 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. You know, we call Alexander the Great, we call him, we call Alexander Great. You know, why, I guess, because he conquered lots of people, subjugated them, and massacred millions. I don't know why, but anyway, apparently that makes you great, at least in the eyes of wicked men. But in God's sight, no, you know who the one who is great is? Not the one who captures cities, but the one who can control his own tongue and who can rule his spirit. He who has his emotions under control. You know, it's really interesting to me that most people think that they don't control their own emotions and thoughts. You know, it's, it's like someone else is thinking in their brain. No, no, you are thinking, you are emoting, you are speaking, and you need to learn how to rule your spirit, just like you have to learn how to rule your body. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Right? You have to learn self-control, self-discipline. You have to learn to control and rule your spirit, not let your spirit rule you. Guard your emotions. Rule them. Fourth principle is to speak what is true. And the next two principles are from Ephesians 4.15, which says, speak the truth in love. And there's two parts of that. One is to speak the truth, and then to speak the truth in love. So you need to say the right thing, and then you need to say the right thing in the right way. So first, saying the right thing, speaking what is true, Ephesians 4.15. Is what you're saying true? And one of the keys is to avoid the always and the nevers. You never, you always, these are rarely accurate. They're rarely factual. You need to speak that which is true. By the way, we are often commanded to speak, right? We, you know, we've talked about the ones that say, hey, you know, guard your lips, close your lips. But also remember that there are things we are commanded to speak. We are to speak the truth. It is not loving to withhold the truth from someone. So we do need to confront at times. We do need to share what's on our heart at times. In fact, the Proverbs say, you know, better is open rebuke than hidden love. It's better to actually confront someone over what's bothering you than to just give them the silent treatment. We need to speak, and we need to speak what is true. We need to say the right thing. Then, fifth, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to say the right thing in the right way. Well, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, love always desires the best for the other person. So your speech has to be oriented towards that person's best interest. That's what it means to speak the truth in love. Well, what's in the best interest of another person? Well, first of all, their salvation, right? So when we speak the truth in love, we, first of all, we want to speak the gospel to the lost. But in a, let's say in a marriage situation, Let's say that there's a, 
a pattern of sin in your spouse's life, well, you need to speak the truth to them. You need to share with them how harmful that behavior is. But you need to do that in such a way where it's clear that you're saying the truth because you love them, because you want what's best for them. I would like to encourage you to not just assume the other person knows your motives, but to actually speak them. Sometimes you need to share the truth with someone. It's good to often to preface this by saying, you know what, I really care about you. I want what is best for you. I want to share something with you. And the reason I want to share something with you is because it will be a blessing to you if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to receive this thing that I have to say to you. I don't want to tear you down. I want to build you up. I want to help you. I want to bless you. I want to do what Proverbs says when it says, let a righteous man rebuke me. It's like oil on my head. Of course, we in modern times don't necessarily realize why is oil in the head such a wonderful thing? Well, you know, go live in a dusty desert where the temperatures are so high and let your lips crack in the heat and your skin be dried out and then feel what those oils would do to bring relief and you'll understand what the scriptures meant when it says, let a righteous man rebuke me. It's like oil on my head. You know, maybe the closest thing we have is, you know, how aloe feels after a sunburn, right? <laughs> you have to say the right thing in the right way. Speak the truth in love. Sixth principle is to choose the right timing. You have to say the right thing in the right way at the right time. Book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. And one of the things it says that there's a time for, it says there's a time to speak. And there is a time to remain silent. This is one of the hardest things to learn, right? When is the time to be silent and when is the time to speak? You have to say the right thing, speak the truth. You have to say the right thing in the right way, you have to speak the truth in love, and then you have to speak, say the right thing in the right way at the right time. Time to be silent and a time to speak. There are certain things that we know. You know, if you have a hard topic to talk, talk about. Um, and, you know, ladies, I think this is, is you know, common. Um, you know, 11.30 is not the time to launch into all that's on your heart. Your husband is tired and he's at, at his least listenable state. So choose a time which is most conducive to the topic choose the right timing you know it's maybe not not right when they've had a great success where they need to hear the constructive criticism it's maybe not when they've suffered through a failure that they need to hear those things we need to choose the right time proverbs chapter 15 verse 23 says this a man has joy in an apt answer and how delightful is a timely word See, it's a timely word which is delightful, the right timing. Ecclesiastes 8.5 says, A wise man knows the proper time 
and procedure. He knows the right thing to say, says it in the right way, but he also carefully and deliberately chooses the timing of what is said. The verse we began with, Ephesians 4.29, says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So often as parents, we give constructive criticism, which is needed by a child, but we give constructive criticism when the child's already discouraged. It's not the right time. Or sometimes, oppositely, we give words of encouragement when the child is already puffed up with pride. Also not the right time. Choose the right time. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14 reminds us you can say the right thing in the right way at the wrong time and it will be it won't go well he who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning it will be reckoned a curse to him so you know i mean here's the guy he's blessing his friend he's blessing his friend loudly he did the right thing in the right way but at the wrong time and so it was taken as a curse Proverbs 25, 20 says this, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. You know, I think we all appreciate when, you know, we have this kind of happy-go-lucky friend who kind of sings happy songs and, you know, always, you know, it's super pleasant most of the time. You wouldn't want them, though, to walk into your, you know, parents' funeral or something like that and, bop along singing and dancing that'd be like taking off a coat on a cold day it can be the right thing in the right way but if it's at the wrong time it doesn't go well so you have to choose timing seventh principle is that actions speak louder than words actions speak louder than words your nonverbal communication is communication your actions communicate and they often communicate louder than your words so you can say to your spouse honey I would do anything for you and you know you look in her eyes and you just say the right thing in the right way at the right time and she just feels so great about it and then you walk away and turn on the TV and she looks and there's your plate on the table she had sweetly asked, hey, would you mind on your way to just drop your plate by the sink? And you looked at her and I said, I'll do anything for you. And then your actions spoke louder than your words, right? So as the old saying goes, you know, all the kind words and all the sweet wishes doesn't replace a little help with the dishes. That is certainly true. Well, what do we do uh, when we identify areas of speech that need to change? And certainly... Uh, every one of us needs to change as um, you know James reminded us we all stumble in many ways and I'm sure as we've gone through this list you know each of these principles you can think of ways you've violated it I'm reminded of uh, you know just recently I was in the car with my kids you know talking about being a you know a good listener they were sharing stories from this you know they read historical uh, biographies and they were sharing story after story after story and I, I love history so I was really interested uh, but at some point, I was wanting to transition to other things, and um, so I started listening less and less. And um, you know, it kind of 
you know, I was listening intently, really enjoying the stories, interacting with the stories, and then as the stories kept going, I interacted less and less, and then at some point, I kind of faded out of consciousness where the, my boys are still sharing the story, but it's not really registering. And then I hear one of my sons saying to the, to the other, like, do you hear the sound dad's making? That's the sound he's, he makes when he's not listening anymore. <laughs> and then for the rest of the trip, they, you know, every time I would start to say something, they'd go, mm-hmm, 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 you know. And I, I'm not sure. They may have started saying some things that were nonsensical just to see if I'd keep going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we all have a lot of things to change. Well, how do we change? Uh, three principles from Ephesians 4.22. We have to put off what's wrong, change our attitude, the attitude of our heart and mind towards this, and then put on a righteous replacement. So we have to put off sinful speech, renew our mind, and then put on sanctified speech, a three-part process of change. And it begins with prayer, and I would encourage you to make your first application of this message that which we find in Psalm 19, verse 14, which says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's make that our prayer together. Lord, we do pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing in your sight. Lord, that what fills our heart, what our heart meditates upon will be that which pleases you and therefore that which then comes out of our mouth from what has filled our heart would also be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we all, as James says, stumble in many ways and certainly in each of these areas of biblical communication, each of us has much to change. So Lord, we pray that you would take bit and bridle and tame our tongues. Lord, you are the only pilot who can take the wheel and turn the rudder so that the ship of our life goes in the right direction. So Lord, we ask that you would tame our tongues. We cannot, and so we give bit and bridle to you and ask that you would change us. Help us, Lord, to be obedient and eager to change. Help us to put off sinful speech. Change, O oh Lord, our hearts and our minds, our attitudes, and then, Lord, help us to diligently and purposefully and intentionally ponder how to respond righteously so that we could manifest in our speech that wisdom from on high, that which is pure and peaceful, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, and that we can, with our lips, sow in peace and make peace. Lord, we pray that our mouth would be an instrument of grace to others.